Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast episode includes quotations from newspapers that contain racist insults. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams and today we're going back to Tuesday the 7th of September 1920. That was the day 100 years ago that a now forgotten Australian thrilled the people of Brisbane with a display of death-defying aerial stunting right over the heart of the city. I stumbled upon Percy William Snell by accident when browsing copies of the Brisbane Courier from early September 1920. For several days running, the paper contained the same ad. It had a picture of an Avro two-seater biplane, propeller spinning in an exciting blur as it zoomed up into the sky. Along with this graphic, the promise, quote, flying today between 2pm and 5pm, Balimba Aerodrome. The ad copy read, Captain P.W. Snell has just returned from taking up over 100 passengers between Brisbane and Rockhampton. Flights can be booked every afternoon until further notice or in the morning by special arrangement. From researching other episodes of Australia on this day and Forgotten Australia, I knew that for many Australians, their first experiences of aviation, seeing a plane, flying in one, came about this way. A century ago, punters in cities and country towns would flock to a field where a pilot, usually a chap who'd earned his wings over France and in the Middle East during the Great War, had landed his machine. And for a few shillings, he'd take you up and blow your mind. Going down the rabbit hole to find out more about Percy Snell was also quite the trip. His story goes from childhood tragedy to adult celebrity and middle-aged obscurity, from wartime heroism to possible war crimes, and from being part of the celebrations for a visiting future king to flying a socialist state premier on a plane that was sabotaged in what could have been Australia's first attempted political assassination. Percy William Snell was born in Queensland on the 12th of February 1896. His father, James, was a prominent labour and trade union activist, while his mother, Eliza, owned a boarding house. She'd been married previously, had three older sons and an older daughter. In June 1899, when Percy was three, his father died, and just nine months later, his mother died. After that, Percy was raised by his older half-sister and her husband in Murrayborough, about 160 miles north of Brisbane. As a teen, Percy was in the military cadets, and after he left school, he worked in a motor garage. Cars were all the rage then, and Percy, he had the need for speed. In mid-August 1914, just after the outbreak of the Great War, Percy and a chap nicknamed Daredevil Jeffkins raced from Pialba to Murrayborough. This was a distance of 24 miles, and they did it in the record time of 24 minutes, with hundreds of people lining the rough roads to watch these young speed demons. In January 1915 in Queensland, Major Thomas McLeod, who'd been the first man to fly a heavier-than-air aircraft in the state five years earlier, formed the Volunteer Flying Corps. 
He recruited a handful of keen young Queenslanders and, in February the following year, Major MacLeod took eight of these young men, including Percy Snell, to England to enlist in the Royal Flying Corps. By the middle of that year, Percy had his aviation certificate. The newly minted lieutenant's first task was defending England against German zeppelins, which had then been terrorising the cities with bombing raids for about a year. The problem was that some of the Royal Flying Corps' planes were old and just couldn't get high enough to strafe these German terrors of the air. Percy was flying one of these outdated machines and was frustrated that the closest he got to a Zeppelin was 2,000 feet beneath one. Yet, he didn't have to wait long to see action. From England, he went to France where, in the 18th Squadron, he flew offensive and photographic patrols over German-held territory on the Western Front. Percy took part in what he called the first big aerial scrap of the Great War. That was in November 1916, when the Brits threw up 50 planes against 65 of the Kaiser's machines. Percy was the leader of a formation of six biplanes, each manned by a pilot and an observer gunner. Four of these craft were shot down, five men died and three others were taken prisoner. Percy came back unscathed that time, but he had numerous close calls. Around this time, he wrote to his sister back in Australia, telling her he was involved in aerial combat every single day. And in this letter, he described nearly being killed. When he'd been in enemy territory at 10,000 feet, his engine had died, and he'd turned the plane around to glide back to his own lines some 12 miles away. Percy wrote, quote, I was tackled by four Huns. My observer got so excited that he lost his head and did not fire a single shot at them. I myself was helpless as my gun will only fire straight in front of me and having no engine, I could not turn and face them. If I had, it would have meant landing in Hunland, so I kept going straight and one of them got over my tail and fired off his first shot and took away some of my control wires. The first shots cut two of my main centre struts in halves and one of my outside struts in halves. How the machine held together, I don't know, and no one else knows. Well, I managed to land all right on our side. It was a very close shave. I never want one so close again. He continued, I can say I was very lucky in getting the machine down in that one instance. He had put a few bullets through the back of my seat. As luck would have it, I happened to be on the other side and they missed. Others wouldn't be so lucky. Of the eight Queenslanders who'd gone to England with Percy Snell to enlist in the Royal Flying Corps, six would serve as fighter pilots, and three of these men would be killed in action. During Percy Snell's time in France, he claimed seven confirmed kills. Then, in early 1917, he was sent to Palestine, where he flew and fought with Sir Ross Smith, the legendary Anzac aviator who, with his brother Sir Keith McPherson Smith, would in 1919 be the first to fly from England to Australia. In Palestine in April 1917, Percy was escorting a machine that Ross Smith was piloting during a tactical reconnaissance mission in the Second Battle of Gaza. Percy was attacked by a German pilot and he kept him off Ross Smith until they were over the enemy lines. The dogfight lasted about 45 minutes, and just as Percy and Ross Smith got back over British lines, Percy shot down the German pilot. This was his eighth confirmed kill of the war. After that, Percy, promoted to captain, took command of training squadrons before being furloughed back to Australia near the end of the war. 
Then he was sent to Egypt, where he was in command of a squadron during the 1919 uprising against British rule. The following year, the Tamworth Daily Observer would run a profile of Percy Snell based on an interview they'd done with the aviator. Quote, his squadron carried mails, including newspapers, from Alexandria to Cairo and en route bombed and machine-gunned Gippo rioters. Was this a war crime? We don't know the details of these events. Maybe Percy Snell and his pilots were taking ground fire, but he was quoted in that Tamworth newspaper article as saying, This was very easy work. No opposition. Percy Snell would be awarded the Air Force Cross for his services in Palestine and Egypt. He returned to Australia in February 1920. In Sydney, he formed a company and purchased four planes. His goal, he said, was to start an airline that'd carry passengers and airmail. To make money in the interim, he'd offer joy flights, which was what found him in Tamworth in the second week of July on his fly-in, fly-out progress north to Brisbane and beyond. Percy told that Tamworth newspaper he thought the Australian people wouldn't take to the air until they'd done one or two flights, which he was only happy to offer at reasonable prices. Percy's longer-term plan was to import new and larger planes capable of carrying 12 passengers and half a tonne of freight. He saw himself plying the Sydney to Brisbane direct route. Percy also saw the possibilities of importing an aerobus that would, among other things, be able to fly sick people from country areas to medical care in Sydney. The Tamworth newspaper said, quote, Captain Snell predicts a great future for flying in Australia where the flying conditions are perfect. He thinks in five years' time, aeroplanes will revolutionise the social and business life of this country. After Tamworth, Percy hopscotched north to Brisbane, and wherever he touched down, he gave people the thrill of their lives by taking them up. When he arrived in the northern capital, he was the first Queensland boy to come back from the war with his very own flying machine. On the 17th of July, Percy was taking up passengers from Balimba Airfield while his friend and frequent flying partner, Lieutenant S.W. Bird, did likewise in another plane. There was a huge crowd of spectators and when Lieutenant Bird came in to land, these people rushed the airfield. The aviator had two choices, chop these folks up with his propeller or ditch his plane into the river. He chose the latter nearly drowned and had to save his paying passenger from suffering the same fate. And the plane was a write-off. When Percy Snell came in to land, the excited crowd did the same stupid thing. He had to land in a ditch though his plane was undamaged. At this time in Australia, the other thing that was guaranteed to send people into hysterical excitement was the prospect of seeing Edward, the Prince of Wales, who was then touring the country. In early August, his royal personage was making his royal rail voyage north of Brisbane. Percy Snell, with Lieutenant Bird as his observer, shadowed the Prince's train, landing at stops, performing stunts and taking up passengers. This wasn't royal stalking, he was actually part of the official entertainments. One of these stops was Maryborough, where Percy was greeted as a returning local hero when he arrived just ahead of the Prince's train. As the Maryborough Chronicle reported, quote, At a great height, 2,000 or 3,000 feet overhead, the plane sailed into view and circled over the city with the majesty of an eagle floating on extended wings. 
In Rockhampton, Percy Snell and Lieutenant Bird gave an exhibition of low flying over the city. The Rockhampton Bulletin reported, quote, Swooping down, they passed over some backyards and the fowls and chickens scattered in all directions and the dogs scampered for cover, much to the amusement of the aviators. The report continued, They flew low enough on one occasion to have to look up to see the time by the town clock. By the start of September, Percy Snell was back in Brisbane, advertising his services and boasting he'd taken 100 people up in the past month or so. So it was on this day 100 years ago, just before midday, that Percy Snell took off with a passenger. At 3,000 feet directly above Queen Street, he did a spiral nosedive of some 2,000 feet. Of course, had anything gone wrong, he and his passenger would have crashed into a major city street in the middle of the business day. Percy and his clearly strong of stomach and strong of nerves passenger did three loop-the-loops in a row. Percy then stunted over Piermont Hospital and dropped a bunch of flowers for his passenger's wife. Flying back to the aerodrome at Belimba, Percy pulled off another spiral dive before setting the plane down, this time not having to dodge fans. As Brisbane's Daily Mail noted the next day, quote, Onlookers expressed the opinion that it was the finest exhibition of stunting ever given in Brisbane. Certainly, Percy Snell had a fan in Queensland's Labor Premier, Ted Theodore, who'd been elected the previous year and who was nicknamed Red Ted on account of his socialist policies. One week after the September 7 stunting spin over the city, Premier Theodore announced a three-week flying tour of Queensland. Percy Snell would be his pilot and take him to far-flung locations so he could campaign ahead of the October election. This wasn't quite a first. New South Wales Premier William Holman had done something similar, though on a smaller scale, in February 1920, with Sir Ross Smith flying him on the first leg of his tour. But Premier Theodore's campaign was novel enough to merit a poem being written about the flying Premier that appeared in the Bulletin magazine. On the 15th of September 1920, Premier Theodore took off in Percy Snell's plane from Toowoomba. This was the first time that Red Ted had flown in an aeroplane, but he seemed to enjoy it. Back in Brisbane just over a week later, he said, quote, It was a most interesting experience. On Tuesday, I travelled by plane from Warwick to Miles, stopping at Dalby and Chinchilla. The Premier talked about the other places he'd visited before summing up, quote, The interest created was great, large crowds assembling to see the plane land and again to see it depart. The saving of time in travelling is a great consideration. What was also a great consideration was that Red Ted was trying to win the hearts and minds of conservative Queenslanders who lived in the country. Being able to visit these people in person by swooping in from the sky certainly wasn't something that the conservative opposition leader, William Vowles, was able to do. And in a tight election race, every vote counted. On the 23rd of September, Premier Theodore and Percy Snell took off again for another leg. They were back in Brisbane by the weekend and the following Monday, the 27th, the plane flew to Bow Desert and then Southport over Tambourine Mountain. But Percy Snell was worried. The plane wasn't handling properly. At Southport, he found that an engine casing had been taken off, the engine timing had been altered and a file handle had been stuck into one of the wing controls. Percy and mechanics fixed this and the plane was judged safe to proceed to Woodford, Kilcoy and Gympie the following day. 
Premier Theodore was informed about what looked like sabotage, but was game to continue on. They took off at just before 9 the next morning, but 15 minutes into the flight, when the plane had hit 90 miles an hour, the engine began to fail. Percy Snell was forced to land in a cornfield in Pimpana. There, the farmer loaned a car to drive the Premier to Beanley. In the coming days, it would be reported that a steel chisel had been found stuck into the engine and that the tool had not been left there accidentally. The CIB was called, the police commissioner was involved and, as Brisbane's Daily Mail reported, quote, the greatest secrecy is being observed. Red Ted continued his campaign by rail and road. He had no choice because Percy Snell's engine was damaged beyond repair. Based on what Percy Snell told him, Premier Theodore told the press, quote, It was done either to prevent me from fulfilling my engagements or for more sinister purposes. Evidence points to direct tampering with the engine and the aeroplane itself of such a nature as might have resulted in disaster. Australian history would have gone very differently if there had been a disaster. That's because Ted Theodore went on to become one of the most important and controversial figures in Labor state and federal politics in the 1920s. He was, by decade's end, as the Depression took hold, deputy leader to Prime Minister James Scullin and federal treasurer before he had to resign amid a corruption scandal. In the early 1930s, Ted Theodore then partnered with Frank Packer in a cunning business scheme that screwed unionists to affect the launch of the money-spinning magazine Australian Women's Weekly that then funded Australian Consolidated Press. Side note, if you want to know more about Red Ted, his involvement with James Scullin, the unions and Frank Packer, check out the two-part Forgotten Australia episode, The Battle for Rothbury. As for what had happened to the plane, on the 15th of October 1920, Brisbane's Daily Mail reported that police had gotten nowhere with their investigations into the sabotage. Quote, It appears unlikely that anything further will be heard of the story. And they were right about that until now. So, was this forgotten incident Australia's first attempted political assassination? It's hard to believe that someone who so seriously interfered with the controls and engine of a plane only meant to slow Red Ted's campaigning efforts. It does read like someone was trying to kill him. Yet, if that was the case, why didn't the police investigate further, given the culprit or culprits might be planning to try again? Of course, the other explanation was that these were mechanical faults and the negligence of a mechanic. That'd mean that Percy Snell had spun the sabotage story to save face and maintain his business reputation. Yet lying to a Premier in the middle of an important election campaign about something like this would risk far greater ruin. Unfortunately, we can't know what really happened. In the end, Premier Theodore won, but Labor suffered a 6% swing, lost 8 seats and retained power with just a 1 seat majority. As for Percy Snell, less was heard of him as the 1920s continued. For a few more years, he flew for fun and profit with Lieutenant Bird, amusing newspaper writers because they now took with them a bulldog named Boy. But Percy's dreams of founding an airline weren't to materialise. He wasn't going to be at the helm of Qantas or institute the Flying Doctor Service. Percy Snell married in 1927 and by the following year was working as a used car salesman in Brisbane. He made the news a couple of times in the 1930s. On one occasion, he chased down a bag snatcher and held him until the police arrived. 
and on another occasion he was fined £20 for serious drink driving. When the Second War came, Percy enlisted again despite being in his 40s and, with the rank of Major, served in the AIF's Army Service Corps in New Guinea. After the war, he was the proprietor of the Strand Hotel at Yapoon. Here, he made the Queensland Papers one more time in June 1947 when he was a witness in a case in which a Catholic priest was charged with raping a woman in the Strand Hotel. Having heard the woman's story, Percy had called the police. When it came to court, the case was dismissed for lack of evidence. Just over a year later, Percy William Snell was admitted to Hillcrest Private Hospital in Rockhampton. The cause of his trouble wasn't revealed, but he died aged just 52 on the 24th of August 1948. I'm Michael Adams and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.